Welcome to the show, everyone. It's me, Chris Slight, and I'm with, as ever, Gwen Frey. Good to be here. But joining us this week is Xavier Nelson Jr. How you doing? I'm doing very well. It's lovely to have you here, man. I met you for the very first time at PAX South and was immediately in love with you as a person because you are probably one of the most interesting developers I've met in a long while in terms of being gregarious and friendly immediately. Ah, that's very kind of you. The, the reason that I was attracted to you, Chris, is yes, that you always pronounced my name Zalavier instead of Zalavier. It gave me this sophisticated, uh, <laughs> old world, just spice that just yeah. made me feel, feel good in your presence. Because you always, hey, no problem. you've got this thing where when you meet a person, I'm not sure if you've noticed this about yourself, but you say their name a lot. So you're like, do I? Yeah. Would you like this Pepsi, Zalavier? And I'm like, uh huh, I absolutely would. Anyway, Gwen's really right. great uh, and one of the most talented developers I've ever met. So yeah, I really yeah. like her too. Leave me out of this. You two can get a room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was actually, I was going to join in and be like, yeah, Gwen's one of the smartest people I no, know. And I always to, introduce her that hear- way. Nobody is listening to this podcast here. A bunch of people respect each other. All right, we're here. That's not what. That's not the entertainment people crave. People crave, uh, you know, bad stuff. That's what I've learned from Twitter and also everything on the internet. We have to be super negative. That's how we ship units and uh, get ahead in life. So, so is well. this a good time to talk about how GDC's closing has affected all of our lives? Oh. You could go right there. Yeah, I mean, we could. Um, so for, for reference, this podcast is about PAX and all the things that happened to us over PAX. And Nelson um, was hanging out with us there. So the three of us were all just recently at PAX East. And this is a giant podcast about that. One of the things that happened was on the second or third day of PAX, GDC was canceled. On the mm-hmm. weekend, after GDC said they wouldn't cancel, they canceled. Forcing everyone to realize, oh, this is the only time we'll see each other slash be able to schedule a, schedule a biz dev meeting. Yeah, and there's not a lot of biz dev people there. It is really, it is, there's so many people in the industry that spend all year preparing their materials for GDC so that they can pitch to publishers. And um, for a lot of them, it, it was always, I mean, it was getting really, really shaky up until that moment because a lot of the bigger publishers had pulled out. Obviously, Tencent and Kowloon weren't going to be there, but also by the time we were at PAX, before GC had canceled, so many of the larger publishers had already pulled out that that was gone. And then once there's no one to pitch to, all of a sudden spending thousands of dollars to fly to Sa- to San Francisco uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So then it was a bummer because all of my friends were not going. And then GC's like, fuck it. Let's end it. And that's a weird um, thing. Up until GDC pulled the plug i knew a lot of indies who were like yeah i'm just gonna be there anyway because you mm-hmm. have the meetings with each other you have this community the, the reason i go to gdc despite it being let's be clear a horrible hellscape every single year <laughs> is that so many of my friends are in one place at one time it is yeah. a place where game developers gather you don't have to have a ticket to get that piece of that community. And suddenly that space for community connection, when GDC pulled the plug, it's like, oh, well, I guess we aren't going now. So uh, yeah. I guess I'm just working from home for the next 
indefinite period. I know. I've been to the last 11 GDCs. I look forward to it every year. It's a major bummer. Can, wait, I mean, can we say that since we were... Can we say that we went set... Even though the GDC was canceled, we went to this GDC because we were caught up in its experiential black like whirlpool? No, man. No. It's over. The coronavirus killed it. The coronavirus. You have a really good shriek going. <laughs> and I mean, I actually... You know, a lot of people are trying to uh, set up like an alternative GDC in San Francisco. And I'm... I don't want it to take off because honestly, it is like to me, it is important that we take the coronavirus seriously. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I know you <laughs> feel that way. <laughs> at PAX, all right, for the people who you guys don't realize this, when we were at PAX, Chris Light stopped between every single person and completely sanitized the controller. He was repeatedly <laughs> sanitizing. Like I, you might have, at the time, I was like, Jesus, man, you're going overboard. But now I'm kind of, I understand it. Yeah. Our now entire- we're thankful. <laughs> Dude, our booth reeked of Purell the entire time. Yep. Yeah, how it be. I felt that was like a comforting vibe. I was getting to the point where like I was getting these red kind of marks on my hands because these wipes <laughs> oh. we were using, one of their things was like bleach. And I was just like, you know what? I don't care. This is fine. And I would do it. And every every person, because they'd walk forward to grab the control and I'd be like, ha ha ha. Hold on a second. <laughs> and then I'd start contro- wiping it all. And I'd be like, I figure it's nice to get a fresh controller, right? And everyone was thankful. They were like, oh, yeah, thanks a lot. And, that, and 95% of them would also reach for the Purell that we had on the table and use it whilst I was wiping the controller. It was the move. Like you, And then while I was doing it, my brain was thinking, you should do this all the time anyway. Why were you ever not doing this? This makes so <laughs> much sense. It explains why you get ill at the end of every PAX. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, we tend to be really careful about VR equipment because everyone's like, mm. ooh, this is going on my head and I'm sweaty. I will say that is it. You, you are somewhat alone in that respect. I don't know how many VR booths I've gone to now where I'm like, you you going to wipe that down? They're like, nah. I'm like, ooh. this is my eyes. These are my hands. Yeah. Uh, do, do you have a... I'm not expecting you to switch in a fresh headset, but wipe it down, please? Yeah, I don't know. I've I've definitely become a lot more conscious about this stuff. Like I feel like like I'm judging myself every time I wash my hands. Like the, the I I don't I don't know how to explain it. Like I I, feel, I am a, traditionally perhaps a bit of a slob, and the coronavirus has <laughs> definitely ter- scared the shit out of me. I think what uh, scared the crap out of me was going to Pack South where. Um, I exhibited at Pack South. It was my first Pack South ever. My first Pack South of exhibiting a whole lot of new things happening at the same time in the in the safe, warm pool that is uh, Pack South. And I would go to the bathroom, and no one would wash their hands. And I was like, uh-huh. okay, I'll just mm. buy a bottle of Purell. Then I had a bottle of Purell <laughs> very conspicuously next to the keyboard. And other equipment for my game. And during the course of the entire weekend, it was given maybe four pumps, five pumps. Uh. Oh, dude. I mean, you can tell society's changed because here at PAX East, like that bottle of Purell was damn near empty by the time we were done. Oh, we had a big bottle. And as horrible as it sounds, if this is what it took to get gamers to wash their hands, <laughs> to get game developers to wipe down their stations, 
then I can only hope that going forward, we will not lose the lessons that we've learned here. I want to see Chris Slight with red marks on his hands every time mm-hmm. I observe him from now yep. on. Look, we all want to torture Chris Slight. Yep. I don't know. I don't know if this will, I don't know. I don't know if it'll make lasting impact. It, oh, it'll depend do. a lot. Although I will say this is, speaking of people not washing their hands in the bathroom, I still saw people doing that at PAX East. The main thing this did to me is ah! rather than doing, like rather than doing the English response, which is like a tut and a look, which in England is devastating. Like if you get a look and a tut, <laughs> it's like, oh, like you're, you, you know that person may as well have hit you in the face. But like... At PAX East, all it did was embolden me to the point where I would go like, oh, come on, as they walked out. And, you know, that f- for a British person, that's that's next level extreme that I said anything directly to the person. But I would be like, oh, come on, as they were walking off. But I would watch people do this or watch people just put water in their hands and leave. And I was like, ah. oh, yeah, because that's that's going to do it. Now you got wet germs that can spread easier. Good work. <laughs> Ugh, kills me. But anyway. Oh, uh, dude, men are gross. Yeah, <laughs> the worst. takeaway there. This is oh, something where you can provide perspective, hope, hopefully, potentially. So are women washing their hands? Are women gamers washing their hands? Are women PAX attendees hygienic? I mean, one of the fun things about being a chick at these shows is that there is no one in the bathroom. So, <laughs> like... No lines. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I wouldn't... Usually, if I'm in the bathroom, I'm the only one there. Oh, shoot. So, it's like you you have your own instance of the bathroom. It's just yeah, this little quantum space just for you. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. It's fun. I like it's changing, which is good for the industry, but bad for, you know, me personally. <laughs> I really liked it. was luxurious before, especially if you go to uh, PAX isn't quite as bad as like going to the shows where you're like ones where you talk and stuff like that. Like the conferences, man, I would, if I ever wanted an alone time, I would just go to the bathroom. There'd be like, you know, just as many stalls. There was never a line. So anytime I go to any place where I speak, it's really nice. Oh, anyway, sorry. Yeah, it's the reverse. Like, uh, it's weird because most other places there's like, like if you go to a show, there's normally a big line for the women's toilets and it's moving pretty quick for the men's toilets because they're using urinals. But for some reason at PAX, no one can figure out the system of, are you going in the stalls or are you going in the urinals? They just join a line. And it's always one mm-hmm. bold toilet traveler that will normally an exhibitor be like, is this stalls or urinals? And someone will go, I don't know. And then it'll be like, okay, I'm walking ahead of all of you and I'm figuring this out and I'm splitting you into lines. I've done that multiple times because I'm like, <laughs> I don't have 20 minutes to stand here <laughs> and wait because none of you can decide where you're going. Well, like, uh- urinals on the left, stalls on the right. Let's do this, people. Come on. Do you think that yeah. this is like leadership training? <laughs> it may be, maybe. I feel like I could lead men to the bathroom now at any point, <laughs> and, and they would be efficient, and they'd wash their hands. Like it'd be good. Because <laughs> if they didn't, you would tut at them, or worse, depending on the severity of the viruses that are going on. Yeah, like if legit, it's like just plague. Then I'd be like, ah, oh, come on, like that. <laughs> that would be. It was fun. It was. It's still fun to watch people play kind. Like, I, it's it's weird because I've had a bit of a break and I started thinking about the next thing and I've already started freaking out about the next thing. Like, oh, what am I doing with my life? But uh, having stepping back and watching people play kind again and there were some people that really loved it and it just felt so good. I'm really glad I got to do this PAX. I'm glad this wasn't canceled because of the virus. I I hope I don't get sick because of it. It's been a week and I, don't, I haven't yet, but 
Like, this was really cathartic. I had a good time. Speaking of reactions to Kine, have you noticed that the way people play and engage with the game has changed now that it's out? Um, in that people can buy it now? Or... Yeah, and that people can buy it now. Like, does it? Are people like, I'll just buy the game? Are they still excited to see the game? Is this their first time to discover it? Like, what's the dynamic now that the game is released for people who encounter you at PAX East? Okay, so this is the first time Khan has been at PAX East. Um, Khan was at PAX West right before launch, and then there was like a handful of smaller shows, like one out in the UK um, called EGX, and um, like a couple of community things here in Boston, but for the most part, everybody that was playing it, it was their first time playing it. There were several, I am always surprised by the number of people that come up and uh, say hi to me and Chris and say that they listen to the dialogue box. That still shocks me considering from what I can tell, there's like 500 people that listen on the podcast, but Mm. every show I go to, there's several. I know there's like a couple, maybe there's like 700 people total here. I don't know what's a lot. I don't know. But do you remember we did that experiment where I said, if anybody is listening to this and they're not a game developer to tweet at me? Yeah. Nobody tweeted at me. No tweets. Yeah, I noticed that as well. So I don't know. It's weird. But like you say, it was, that always surprised me because I expect people to know you. But if anyone came up and was like, you're Chris, right? I'd be like, yes. In more of a way of like, what do you, because there's no reason you'd want me in this context. So what do you, (laughs) (laughs) how is it exhibiting for you though like because was your game at pax east yeah that was its exhibit that was its public exhibiting debut the way in which it was first brought to the public was a little bit strange uh every year nyu game center runs this thing called no quarter uh and they get four independent developers get it because quarters in arcades in video games <laughs> oh, God. hey wait stop before you go further yes. say the name of your game dude <laughs> an airport for aliens that. currently run by dogs that is a really long name i call it's it really dog airport name. game because i'm tired <laughs> yeah that uh no comment I, I love that like for me I think I think the long name is better yeah like the um it stands out yeah there's the minute I saw you I see that name it's so different to any other video games and as someone that consumes a lot of video game related media that name I it was in the first time I saw it, it was in a polygon article before just before I met you like before I flew out and yeah that was the one that was like oh it looks different it's got a different name it's clearly got a different like way of me interfacing with it everything about it looked interesting on that level it's it's also i'm concerned this is where names are going to go in the future because every give like every plausible name for a video game has been trademarked at this point (laughs) i was surprised that kind wasn't taken yeah i know I, i locked that trademark down i'm i'm like there you have websites you can go on now which will find like four level uh, four letter words that aren't trademarked. Um, the combination of finding something that's not trademarked and also still has a dot com is massive. I just wanted hold on. We we did a huge aside here, and I do want um I wanted to talk about an airport for aliens currently run by dogs. How did it go? How was the show? Well, uh, no quarter. They reach out to four independent developers every year. This is where Nidhog get debuted. It was a huge. It's a huge honor to be asked. Uh, and they asked me last year, so I. They were like, hey, we'll give you, like, an amount of money and just have something ready by October. And I was like, what do you want? They're like, literally anything. 
So I was like, damn, I guess I'll make a game about an airport for aliens. But in the process of making that game, as a temporary joke to myself, I used a stock photo as a dog for the airline receptionist. And because this is my first time working in 3D, I've been a narrative director and, like, person who works in games for a long time. But this is my first time building out all the content, writing all the things, learning how to script in C-sharp. Uh, when I pressed play for the first time, I didn't realize how large the player is supposed to be in comparison to other objects. So I pressed the play button and suddenly there's an eight foot tall picture of a Jack Russell Terrier towering (laughs) over me, asking me if I want a ticket to Uranus. And at that point I knew I, I had a choice really. I can't say that (laughs) I knew. I could continue to make my, uh, game about alienation and being surrounded by strange and wild things in alien airports or i can make a game that made me happy i up to that point had gained this impression that the practice of making games was inherently painful that if i pulled long enough and deep enough and hard enough no matter how much it hurt me at least the work would be good and if the work would be good then i would be good and Suddenly, I was making this game about stock photo dogs who run airports, and I was happy in a way that I'd never had working on a game before. So, coming into the No Quarter showing, and then into the Pack South showing, and all the incredible things that have uh, happened from just really summer of last year... I I have legitimately been saved by this game. And when people encounter it, the range of folks that it reaches, the way in which it engages them and creates passion and joy, even if uh, they only see it for small bites of time, I am just immensely blessed and thankful. Oh, man, that's so beautiful. I mean, I definitely understand the feeling. I feel like most of the time when you work on games... I wouldn't, I have I generally have a great deal of satisfaction around my job. I usually enjoy doing my job to some degree. But I mean, so much video games is, um, for as an animator, my background in AAA was working in stuff that is extremely violent. People are tortured, you know. Um, and I've always found it to be more fun when you're working on something like um, uh, with Heroes or with A Good Message. Kind was the most fun I've ever had. Uh, you know, you, you unconsciously make the faces of the characters you animate. So if you're animating something that's like depressing or dark and you're looking to desaturate dark screen and animating depressing things all the time, you will just be sad. Whereas if you're working on something that's kind of cheerful and upbeat, you will just be happy. And that's just how it'll be. Um, it, it, that I totally understand that feeling, you know. And honestly, there is... We, we have, especially as indies, there was a focus, a shift for a while where everything had to be very serious. Um, you had to have a message. And so Do you remember and I, that phrase, the Citizen Kane of games? Ugh. Uh, God, yeah. that messed us all up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sucked. I mean, and the thing is, the reason why the games I remember when I was a kid were fun, happy, bright. You know, they, they weren't sad. And now I see, think we are seeing a, a return to that, a return to cozy games. I wish we saw more games with humor, games that were um, just funny. I thought Disco, one of the reasons I adore Disco Elysian, on top of the fact that it's a masterpiece, is that it is exploring humor in video games, which is a not something we do a lot with the medium. I wish we did it more. 
comedy is really hard anywhere. It's really hard in games. And I think it's clear how much we we can and should value humor in games just because we've seen it done so poorly elsewhere. Like, in if you've seen a bad comedy, you can compare it to good comedies in film. But if you've seen just a horrible, unfunny, or worse, obnoxious uh, game in terms of comedy, then anything thereafter that's legitimately funny is going to feel like manna from heaven. Uh, maybe I'm trying to see now I'm thinking about all the different kinds of experiences of like what is comedy in a play versus comedy in a film versus like stand-up comedy for instance and I don't know like we haven't found many games that are funny mechanically and to me Disco Elysium was beautiful because it was kind of funny mechanically in its narrative structure um, and you, we do have games that are silly, like physical comedy, yeah. such as like, um, obviously like, uh, the goat simulator kind of games and, and those sorts of the, the games that are just kind of silly in that way. But to me, the reason why comedy and games is interesting is not because it hasn't been, because it's been done poorly, but because it hasn't really been explored much at all. I think actually you mentioned a really good thing there about games being, um, games not being funny mechanically uh again we can totally see why that would be the case it's difficult to pull off written word let alone how does this mechanic make someone laugh but the thing that disco elysium nails is that is the two pieces of a joke you have the setup and you have the punchline and disco elysium unlike i think several games that do attempt humor it always has a punchline. No matter what you do, there is a reaction in the world. There is a consequence to what you've done. If you try to grab at a necktie hanging from a ceiling fan, you can die. And it's yeah. funny. Uh, it's, it's also just got those little moments of like, um, uh, they. what's interesting is it's a comedy that pokes fun at, it's almost political comedy at times. Like at one point, you know how you have the thought cabinet. You put different, and this is how you unlock abilities in the game. It, it, you can get perks by taking a thought and putting it in your thought cabinet for a certain amount of time. Like, and time progresses differently. So over the course of an hour, you might pass like um, twelve hours in the game in game world time, right? Uh, and so one thought you can put in your thought cabinet, the one that takes the most amount of time, is you're wondering about um, homosexuality. Basically, uh, you see the you you encounter a person, something seems off about them they seem really flamboyant you get the ability like if you want to you can put this in your thought cabinet but it'll take 48 hours and it's a big deal and so you and in the past everything you put in your thought cabinet the amount of time you put in in your thought cabinet the better the park so you're like wow what's going to happen if i think about the homosexual agenda for 48 hours and you put i did it i put it in there and after 48 hours it was like really it doesn't matter what people do and also, why did you spend so much time thinking about this? It was kind of the takeaway. There was no perk at all. And it was so funny. I like, I laughed so hard and I wasn't even mad that I wasted that, that time that I could have been put getting some other perk. It was, it's things like that. Those, yeah, those, it's action and reaction, right? You, you took your yeah. expectation and it bent it. And uh, uh, I loved it. And, and, and like my game, I don't mean to bring it up to the level of yeah. Disco Elysium, but like you go to the, to the ticket counter to buy a boarding pass and you have three options after the dog introduces itself 
by saying that I have short-term memory loss. You have, yes, I would like a boarding pass to Phobos. You have, no thank you, not right now. And yes, also I need 50 of them. So you can get 50 boarding passes. And then the dog changes to a different picture, kind of like blank stare into the void. And you can talk to it again. He's like, hey, I have short-term memory loss. What do you need? And you say, <laughs> I'd like 50 boarding passes, please. And we've had people who created over... 2,000 boarding passes, all of which are real-time physics objects, which can be affected by shadows, and create igloos out of them. That's amazing. Like, whilst game, you were demoing awesome. it, like, right there, someone was like, can I do this? And just kept going. The thing I've noticed is that for my game in particular, people don't ask permission. They just look at me while they do it. While they continue <laughs> to do the clicky actions that initiate the horrible thing, they look at me and do it. I think my favorite instance of that was the first, there was one player who went into the lamp store, which sells lamps, and there's an option to get five lamps at a time, and they got five lamps at a time, and then they got another five lamps, and then they looked at me, and they went on to create another, up to, they went on to create 65 lamps, and I was like, geez, that was a horrible time, I'm glad the game didn't crash. The next person <laughs> got around 175 lamps and I was terrified. And the next person, I was thankful because they seemed like they would actually play the game. They went around, they, <laughs> they were, were doing things, they're engaging with the systemic <laughs> systems. And then they found the lamp shop and they looked at me and they beelined <laughs> towards the store. And their, their game story, their entire demo was spent. They ended up getting 300 lamps in that tiny store to the point where their entire screen was a wall of white. They could not see the vendor anymore. And they had to spend the rest of the session digging themselves out of the <laughs> wall of lamps. And then putting all of the lamps into an incinerator so that their uh, frame rate would not just go into the unhappy abyss that they had created for themselves. And then their demo ended and they were like, this is the best game I've played at PAX South. Dude, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. That's like that's like peak video games in the, for me, and this is true for a lot of people that play video games, it was the like when you saw the Ready Player One movie and it had been 40 years or something and the first guy to drive backwards figured out that he could solve the puzzle right at the top of the movie and everyone that watched that had played a video game was like who doesn't drive backwards like immediately in a racing game just to see what happens because you have that ability so why wouldn't i see what i can do with it that's my favorite stuff in video games like you say if i see a lamp store and i can buy like a multiple lamps oh how many of these can i do what will this game permit me to do until i reach the point where it goes you can't do it anymore and i go oh that's the point where I realized that uh, the game is a first-person open-world comedy adventure. I, Up until that point, I thought I was making sort of a more uh, gentle uh, adventure game with systemic elements. Mm -hmm. And that's where I realized I'm actually making something much closer to, to Skyrim systemically and in terms <laughs> of emergent gameplay than anything else, which is a terrifying concept, but also... When you see how many people that can reach, how many people played the game and engaged with it in entirely different ways. The game has an alien language. I made a custom font for it. Never make a custom font. It's bad. Uh, they spent their entire play sessions and 
the play sessions of people after them watching over their shoulders, translating the language in the game and seeing the various signs and leaving notes for the next players. We had yes. people who came in and tried to t catch a flight as soon as possible. We had other people who met David Boney and made the entire point of their session <laughs> to not just pet David Boney as often as possible, but to make sure that they helped get David Boney the equipment that he needed to get off world because the cops were coming after him because he had illegal bones. So every time they completed a stage <laughs> of the quest, they go back to David Boney, pet him to comfort him about their progress and go back to their work. That's immensely exciting. And it gave, uh. and it gave me a real passion for, you know, delivering on all of those possibilities as yeah, much as it hurts. Dude, it, it's like, it feels so good to make people laugh. It feels so good to watch people laugh. It's the best thing. I I have to say I am jealous of you because when you're demoing a puzzle game, you don't usually get that. Like if people look at you, it's not because they're excited or they're trying yeah. to like, hey, my game. it's more because like they don't actually. People usually look away in shame if they're stuck. Oh <laughs> man. Some some games, yeah. Well, some games just demo it shows better than other games, and that's not necessarily a sign that it'll. Um, like how well you demo a show doesn't really correlate to how well a game will sell or anything at all. Um, that's not to. There's a lot of studies sure, on that. I'm sure you're aware of that, yeah. But like, there's games that are fun for groups of people. Um, puzzle games, I would say, probably aren't those, right? Like puzzle games, you want to sit down, you want to sink into them, you don't want to feel like people are behind you judging you. Um, and so I would say, yeah. So I would say there's times when demoing kind is nowhere near as fun as that. And so I'm super jealous that you had that experience. I will say, though, one thing that I adore about Kine and the entire dynamic I saw players have with it, because I watched the booth for a little bit, uh, is the music is infectious, the world is infectious, the mm -hmm. entire way you communicate with players comes through so clearly in that demo that you pretty much instantly know, is this for them? Because if it isn't mm -hmm. for them... They might walk away, they might not have a good time, they might look away in shame, but if it is for them, you can see that process of understanding almost like someone walking in and joining a dance that in my chaotic physics puzzle open world adventure game, I didn't really see that. It was a little bit harder to judge, okay, what is the reason the people are here? What are they enjoying with Pakine? When it clicked with someone, it clicked so clearly that you could see it from five feet away which is where i was standing from your booth and yeah. i i was really deeply excited to see that folks had this experience and um this takeaway as far as showing on the show floor when the game is out do you notice that those people then go on to buy the game do you have any data on how often people go on if they've had a good experience to like purchase the game or is it just an on the ground the person had the good experience Oh, they buy it right there if they like it. And oh, that's yeah, a thing. Do, yeah, I can. You can sell game keys at shows. Yeah, yeah. If they played the game and they liked it, they would just immediately buy it. People are packs to put money into things, buy T-shirts, swags, games, and so forth. Um, Snap! That's cool. Did you not know you could sell game keys? <laughs> I thought it was illegal. N nah, man. Nah, that's like a good idea actually to sell pre-orders. Were you, was your game out when you were showing at PAX? It wasn't yet, right? It was a couple of weeks later. It is or still wait. in development. It's still in development. Okay, yeah. People when, can... I'm doing a little a weird thing where through Patreon, people can get the work in progress builds as they're done. 
uh, instead of Steam Early Access or something where my direct uh, competitors, my 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 fellow developers, but also my competitors, I'm standing in Steam Early Access next to Hades, and I don't Ooh. want that comparison. <laughs> That's, I mean, you're gonna, there's so many games, dude, you're gonna be, <laughs> you're competing with all games. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that too much. But um, that's funny. Um, so when you were there, how were you engaging people that were excited about the game? Were you having them join a mailing list? Were they, were you telling them to sign up with your Patreon? I printed out, uh, I, well, I, I had printed physical boarding passes complete with perforations and me oh, and my family those. stayed up until midnight uh, to cut out all 1,500 of them and bring them through my baggage. Fun fact, the TSA will ask you uncomfortable questions if you have 1,500 fake boarding passes in your baggage. Or if after the show, not saying this happened, but if this did happen to you, you ha- were talking to someone about your cool game you're very excited about and you just had a really good time showing and you handed them a fake boarding pass in the terminal, that also encourages interactions that you don't want to have with security officials <laughs> oh yeah tsa will not like that i imagine that's funny oh god oh well you're alive so you made it out okay yeah uh as as long as the two-week timed release you said is on the coronavirus doesn't get me i'm alive <laughs> i'm fine I think we talked about that before the podcast, but yeah, we'll know for sure that we're clear of coronavirus in two weeks after the show. That's how long it takes for symptoms to show up sometimes. That makes no sense. It's like... That's why it's so scary, because people don't realize they're sick and they're going around spreading it. Sorry, I'm not... (laughs) I am afraid of it. I am afraid of the coronavirus a little bit. You'll be fine. I bleached everything you ever interacted with at that conference. I am now... I am grateful of that in this moment. So for for the show, do you feel like it was a successful show? Do you feel like, um, I mean, obviously you have a huge morale boost because people loved your game, right? Yeah, the morale boost is nice. I think the real thing is, honestly, when you start bringing this game to other people, uh, especially in front of official people like publishers, I mm. had had some really positive interactions, but I'd also had some extremely negative interactions as well where people just despised what they had seen of it uh basically told me it wasn't worth it and i was like coming into pax south i was looking for a little bit of faith i was like okay i i know that i have kind of sort of uh horribly indoctrinated the people who've been following my work for years with bad puns and so on of course they would be up for the next thing that I've indoctrinated them to like. Another horribly punny comedy adventure that's ridiculous and has a really long title. But will actual normal people out in the world get it? And seeing that it connected with folks in sometimes deeply powerful ways. We had one person who they came and they played the game and then on the last day of PAX, they came back and they watched for a while. And when there was an open spot, they played again. And then they came and watched for a while. And I just, I kind of walked up to them. Uh, not to ask, like, are you lost? Are you okay? But uh, why are you still here? Y- you've seen this? It's a big show? Uh, and they said, hey, uh, they said, is it weird that 
there's so much I haven't seen at PAX, but this is the only place I want to be. And something broke inside me a little bit. And I was like, oh, this, this works. I know that success at a show does not equal success in quote-unquote real life. Uh, I'm aware of that. I came into the show very cynical. But for my purposes, which was to see, can this connect with people I have never spoken to before? Can someone come off the street, whether it's a store page or whether it's a big show where there's a lot of stuff going on, and find themselves drawn to this game and find the experiences they have in it are powerful enough to affect them for the rest of the weekend, that question was answered definitively. And uh, all the additional stuff that came out of it, whether it was the Discord followings or the Patreon people who who joined up afterwards, that was just a bonus. Got it. Nice. Good. Excellent. That's awesome. Good. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. You'll never... Mm, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to define success either. Like, to me, I think success is having enough money to eat and also, you know, having those moments where you feel fulfilled like that, where you've... Those days where you feel like your work has reached somebody. And that's the weird thing. I'd spent so long as a contractor, um, sort of being a hired gun, training myself to, to be like, I don't need personal fulfillment. I get the job done. And I got a lot of games shipped that way. But the idea that you can have personal fulfillment and eat, for some reason, those had become disconnected in my mind. I think games trains you to be so thankful to be in a position to be doing it full time that you don't consider what the ideal is, let alone what you want. And, and I know you worked at both AAA and Indie. What was, I mean, Kind is all about that. What was that process like for you? Oh, what, leaving, um, I mean, I've, I've experimented with, like, I don't know, man. Every development cycle is different. Um, I had, uh, to me, having a job that I love uh, is just something I've never really been willing to bend on, whether mm. it was AAA or not. And you can have incredibly unfulfilling experiences in AAA or indie. I think it's a myth that like uh, you're a cog in the wheel if you're in AAA versus if you're indie, you're you're always gonna have this like um, fulfilling, amazing experience where you have tons to say. That's all bullshit. There's people who work in indie who are very by the numbers, doing the thing that will sell well, don't really enjoy what they're doing. Um, there's a lot of struggle in indie that, that, and a lot of people working on stuff that they don't find fulfilling. And there's a lot of people who are extremely fulfilled working in AAA, who love their job, who love being a specialist in a certain thing, or just love working on a franchise that impacts people. There's something about seeing, working on a game and seeing a character from that game. Like, I worked on a character that was painted on the side of a skyscraper. And there was, you know, when I talk about Bioshock Infinite, People know about it because there was commercials during the Super Bowl. And I touched something that that everybody in the world knows about and that it influenced the culture. And that can be fulfilling in a very different way. Um, that's very good. I'll never get that from Kine, right? Like, Rue is not going to be painted on the side of a skyscraper. Very few people will play this. The reason this was fulfilling was because it was, um, in a way, it was proving to myself I could, I could do something. Like, for one person, that was, like, a pretty big achievement. I'm pretty proud of it. Um, and it was, like, I'd worked on a I had perhaps worked in on games that I didn't... Oh, I don't know how to say this. Kine was a game that made me happy when I was making it. And I loved doing mm. it. And I loved working on it. And so it's very similar to what you were talking about. The experience of working on Kine was returning to just 
doing something that I loved because um, it was a while. I don't know. I, I was in a bit of a funk for a bit there, I think, probably. And I can't talk about that because the, the stuff I was working on for a while was, um, well, for one thing, I, I, I loved working for Double Fine and, and doing um, kind of contract work on Psychonauts 2, but that was definitely a hired gun helping somebody else with their game that I didn't really have ownership over. Or uh, we, we worked in a couple of games for a while that uh, we never got funded and that I maybe wasn't quite as passionate about as I would have liked. And so um, there was a period there, I think the, the darkest times for me are always when I'm working on something that I don't believe in or that I don't enjoy. I find that to be extremely difficult. And I find that um, that is just, that is like P0. I have to achieve that. And then after that, achieving, you know, enough, enough money to have a decent standard of living, um, you know, I would like to... I'm thinking about maybe starting a family someday, so maybe a little more money than than just enough to eat. Uh, getting, uh, you know, the all the other things. Um, those are all kind of secondary. We didn't start talking about the hotel yet. We need to bring this back up to the light, happy shit. Well, happy the, is, the entire, is the, a stretch. Okay. The entire reason we decided to do this podcast was so that you could talk about the hotel. Instead, so, we ended up talking about personal fulfillment and career oh, goals. The fuck, man? Go into this fucking hotel. I need to know. What? So, you flew in here uh, to Boston, and you stayed at a place called the Yotel. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just called Yotel. It has no consistent pronunciation that I know of. And <laughs> up until the night I was flying into Boston, literally... In between connections, I was going to stay with a friend in Rhode Island. Uh, but I was like, you know what? I should be on the ground by the thing. Is there anything that's affordable near the center? Because before coming to PAX East, uh, I, I had looked at all the options and we were looking at like two grand for four nights. And that's unsustainable for an independent developer. Mm-hmm. So I pull up on my phone, you know, booking.com. Shout out to booking.com. Please sponsor me. And I see a new option that I've never seen before that's quite affordable and that isn't a hostel or anything, like has private bathrooms and stuff, and it's called Yotel. So I book it. Mm. And yeah, that's the, That was the exact opposite of what I had when looking at Yotel. It was suspiciously cheap, and I did not trust it. So when you said you went there, I was like, oh, you went for that? Do yeah. tell. <laughs> I had people the entire weekend. This is the first time I've spoken about my hotel at event. Like, uh, oh yeah, I'm staying at you know the Marriott. Oh yeah, I'm staying at you know the whatever the name of the chain is. That people have greeted it with either a a, a flash of delight on their face or a flash of voyeuristic uh, intrigue. Mm. <laughs> They either I mean, know or they you. want to know. I because I'm I'm curious. What is this insanely cheap hotel near the Boston Convention Center? What is it? What is the hotel? Tell us. So the thing about Yotel is it is super- disturbingly cheap. It's in the area. It was available the night before Pax East. All of these should have been warning Whoa. signs, but I'd already I was already catching like the second of like three flights to get to Boston, so I was tired. And when I get tired, things happen to me. I almost got arrested in the Berlin airport, which is a story for another time. But 
I come in to Boston, I, I to Rhode Island, I get my hour and a half long Uber to the Yotel, and when I enter, there's this little robot off to the side with in giant block letters stamped onto its robot flesh the acronym Yo2D2 with a hashtag at the start. The the name is a part of the thing. Hmm. I say, huh, that's odd. And they've got all these computers for setup, but there's no one at the front desk. So I start tapping on the computers to, you know, check in and it isn't working with my name. So I go up, someone has apparitioned themselves at, into appearing at the front desk and I check in and uh, we have some banter which again is fine but not quite yeah. normal this isn't the yeah. normal banter that two human beings have when I'm checking into your hotel at night uh, yeah this is Boston banter at all is unusual people here don't do that Maybe that's why it felt so odd. It felt like a thing that shouldn't be happening. And I was like, we're just having a conversation. Another part of my brain is like, we shouldn't be having this conversation. It's Boston. So mm-hmm. I get my two key cards from them and I uh, come onto my elevator and I hear the Adams Family theme song. <laughs> nah. Right. Why is that? In the lift being played? In the elevator as the mm. elevator music. That's mm. just cool. Okay, cool. Sweet. I'm there. Like, really? oh, none of this Carry sounds on. bad yet. Does it smell bad? Like, what's the problem here? <laughs> Smells clean. Everything is fine. I've been given two clean. keys to the Yotel, uh, into the, my Yotel room. As I'm going up in the lift, the song abruptly changes to the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme song. And this I walk out to that. Uh, okay. So I open up the door, coming into my actual room after going through this suspiciously clean techie lobby with the robot stamped Yo2D2 and, you know, an airport that was almost ready to close down because it's Rhode Island. It isn't a giant travel hub. Uh, And I'm just blinded with this flash of purple light because this is the Yotel. And the word... Yotel is written with a purple outline. So in every single room, I confirmed this with several other people who I discovered had also been entrapped into staying at the Yotel, that there is a brilliant purple light in your room. (laughs) Anytime you turn on the light, there's a button that is supposed to control the hue and intensity of this purple light. And when I pressed it, there was nothing. It just... Still shown, <laughs> covering the entire room in purple light. I sent my parents a picture. My dad uh, sent me back a text saying that looks like a Barney sex room, and that kind of set <laughs> yeah. the tone for the rest of my stay there. I there was is a ask, based on everything you've said so far, is this a, an establishment where you could have um, purchased by the hour for the for the room? That's the thing. It's apparently a normal yo- hotel. But it's the Yotel. Nothing makes sense within these environs. I, I, I can't slip a 20 to Yo2D2 to get a couple of hours in one of their fine cabins. It, there's no one at the desk. It's just a computerized purple 
nicely priced nightmare. Shit, man. If it, like, I've traveled on the cheap in some weird places, and I'll tell you, if the worst you got there is, like, the light is weird, and you have some unusual music in the lift, but you saved a couple hundred, I'd do that. Fuck it. I haven't gotten to the body-shaped compartment next to the bed. Ooh, okay. And you might have noticed this when you walked in, like I certainly (laughs) did. There is a locked compartment next to the bed about the size of a human body uh, that you have no key to access. And there is a air conditioner at the top of this compartment, but inside of what should be there, almost like the TARDIS, it's bigger on the bottom than it should be. There is more space than they should be in this compartment in your room that is, by the way, slightly ajar, but you can't see inside by any earthly means that I've tried, that uh, you just... It's just there, right next to your bed, all night. All right. But I really, I'm really glad you joined us. This is really fun having you. Yeah, this is great. I got to talk about sincere stories and career goals and about my new game, Airport for Aliens, currently run by dogs that you can now wishlist on Steam and support on Patreon. And I got to talk about the Yotel. Which is really the most important thing. The Yotel. <laughs> Could people find you on Twitter or the game on Twitter? Oh, you know you could find me on Twitter. I, I am yeah. on Twitter too much. Uh, you could find me on Twitter at at Rit Nelson, and I was told to leave recommendations for stuff at the end. If you haven't seen Gross Point Blank, uh, John Cusack uh, is a young, depressed hitman who doesn't want to be a hitman anymore, who goes back to his tiny town in Michigan to have a, a high school reunion and... You know, a unionizing hitman played by Dan Aykroyd doesn't like that and hunts him down. It's really, really good. And it has some of the best dialogue I've ever seen in a movie. Nice. Awesome. What was that called? Gro- uh, gross Point Blank. G-R-O-S-S-E point P-O-I-N-T-E blank. It's just a blank. I will I will be checking that out. That sounds fun. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Ah, thank you. It has been a pleasure to both spend time with you again and to appear on your lovely podcast. This has been Zalavir Nelson Jr., Chris Slight, and Gwen Frey, and you've been in the Dialogue Box.